This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most faith, business, life, and everything in between where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is Sierra Lane Myers. Sierra is just like you. She's beautifully complicated and a multifaceted human. She loves her family and her friends. She loves to read. But like you, she's not just one thing. She's both a mother and an award-winning business owner. She's shy and silly. She's a book and sports type of girl. And because of her layered nature and down-to-earth disposition, her textured storytelling is fresh and refreshing. Her new book is called Glasses Off, Seeing God When Your Vision is Gone. It is an exclusive collection of personal stories and life lessons of things she has learned along the way. It's both for men and women. It's full of heart and passion. And if you love reading about love and clarity and vision and insecurity and dreams and feelings, you are going to love this book. You're going to love this conversation. We dive really kind of deep into the topic of vision and purpose in life. And what does that look like on a practical level? Kind of actually zooming out and then zooming in on this topic. You are really going to love this conversation. You're going to love Sierra. She's really brilliant. And I know that you're going to have a great time. So without further ado, on to my chat with Sierra Lane Myers. You know, it's going to be a good day on the podcast when you've been talking for 10 minutes and then you realize you're like, we should probably hit record. Um, So Sierra, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I And I also like referencing that sometimes because then I like to imagine the person listening to this at home who's like, what were they talking about? Like, I want to know. What did they say? What did they say? Why didn't they record it? Were there secrets? (laughs) Yes, we uh, we've planned to take over the world. So basically, (laughs) Um, Sierra, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Let's have you just dive right in and tell us the Sierra 101. So tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. I am a woman of the Lord and have been since I was five, on and off, of course, (laughs) really probably actively from 23 until now, so 10 years. My husband and I own a little group counseling practice in our area. He's a counselor and he was working so much, so many hours, and I was like, I need help with the kids. And I'm like, lonely. And so I said, what if we open a space and we run a group counseling center? So I hired a bunch of therapists and now we get to help people help people, which is really cool. I'm a new author. God called me into this new industry to write. So that's been interesting and exciting. And I've got two kiddos, two girls, one age 10 and one four-year-old. I love it. Right to the nitty gritty. Um, well, I won. Okay. So I just to clarify, because you run a group counseling practice, but like you yourself are not a counselor, right? 
No, I just sort of am like the visionary and he's really good at counseling. He's really good at what he does, but he's kind of, he doesn't think on a high level area. And I was just like, we could, you could be home with us more if we did things differently. So I'm in charge of all the hiring and all of just the day-to-day stuff, like, you know, payroll and yeah. Yeah. The exciting stuff. (laughs) Right. Okay. Well, I want to just park on that for a minute because I think that that's such an interesting approach that because this is a common I know I mean your husband's a counselor so I'm sure he hears about this regularly and in marriage especially as you start to get into the weeds of raising young kids and you know when you when sometimes you find yourself almost like two ships passing in a night and if you have one parent staying at home and one parent you know working long hours like it can just be grueling but I what was it that made you say we're going to pump the brakes here and we're going to figure out like we cannot, this is not sustainable because I think that that's an important piece that when couples get into the weeds, they just end up being like hamsters on a wheel and they're just doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And, you know, that's the definition of insanity. And so instead you were like, no, we're, this is not going to be us. This is not going to be our story. We're going to pump the brakes here. Like how did you get to that point? What made you realize we were going to, we were going to have that conversation and how did your husband receive that? I just, I'm, I'm really interested in this. A couple things. So one, I was just, well, supply and demand, I guess the more he got booked. I mean, I'm talking 70 hours a week yeah. of mental health. It's super bad for his brain right. to sit there and do that over and over and over again. So just one supply and demand of like, Hey, we can pass these along to other people. You're not the only counselor in the area. You know, we can, right. we can still profit from it. We can still help people and you can be here. So just the logical part of that. And then, um, I guess I'm also just kind of a fix it person. Like I don't, he's probably the one that more so wants to linger and try. And I'm probably someone that really is solutions focused. Mm. And so he, when I brought it to him, he was not like, Oh, that will never work. He was like, okay, I trust you. Like, what do we do? Mm. And so we just kind of put our strengths together and it, it was definitely a grind for like a year after he would get home from work all night. We would, you know, get the, island working and yeah I mean the kitchen island we don't own an island (laughs) (laughs) we're just sitting on our island like no I know I knew what you meant but now I have a much funnier mental image of you and your husband just like sitting on your private island okay this is a quick digression and this is just it's my show so I do that I do this when I want um when (laughs) When my daughter, who is 10 now, when she was first born, so I ended up having, I had a really long labor delivery. That's not what this is about, but I ended up just having a C-section and my recovery was brutal. And so, I, I mean, it was like six plus weeks of bare, barely being able to leave the couch because I just was in so much pain and I was just nursing all day. And I'm a new mom and I'm like, you know, my husband was working really crazy long hours. So I was just home alone with this newborn. And I barely could get off the couch. And 
it was during this time that I ended up just becoming obsessed with the show on HGTV Island Hunters. Like I didn't know that this was a thing. Like I'd heard of House Hunters, but then I heard of, but then I came across Island Hunters and you know what airs at like 1 p.m. in the afternoon when everyone's at work? Reruns of Island Hunters. So I watched so much Island Hunters and then it got to the point where I was like, seen it. Like they've already got, they already bought that island off, you know, the coast of Florida or whatever. And it was always is, but it was even <laughs> like, you know, the absurdity of house hunters where it's like, I am an artist struggling and I am a author and our budget is $9 million. And you're like, what do you do for a living? <laughs> it was even worse on house hunters or on Island hunters. It was like these people with these incredibly obscure jobs and they would have you know, $15 million to just buy an island off the coast of Canada or whatever. Anyway, it was gripping television. I was fascinated. Next level, you know, and next so level. Now that is my mental picture of you and your husband building this business on a private island off the coast of Nova Scotia. So hey, let me switch my Zoom background to some sort of island instead of my home. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. That was my digression. Everybody now knows a little something weird about me. Um, I don't even know if Island Hunter is still, still on, but it was just perfect C-section recovery television <laughs> in any event. Well, I think that, that that whole story is really interesting um, and I think leads perfectly into talking about... Um, so your book is out, which... Hey. Congratulations uh, on the birth of your book, because um, as someone who is also in the process of releasing a book, I can tell you it is like labor and delivery. Um, <laughs> just very, very long. Um, just different, um, but also painful. In any event, I don't know why I said it like that, Sierra. Welcome to my show. I realize we just met. But anyway, I'm so excited about this book. Um, I just got my copy, which is so amazing. Um, it's the cover is perfect. It's called Glasses Off, Seeing God When Your Vision is Gone. And having done this podcast for over seven years now, and especially in the early days, but a, th a theme that has risen and, and been consistent on this show for a very long time is the theme of finding and living in one's purpose, one's calling, and um, having a life that is filled with vision. And I mean, like that verse, you know, for where there is no vision, the people perish. And while I love this topic... I love talking about purpose and calling and vision. It is one of the things I am the most passionate about. It is also a topic that can be, I think people, when they, it sounds really exciting, but then there's a lot, not a lot of meat or like nuts and bolts. And it becomes this just pie in the sky. Like, let's talk about our purpose and our vision and our calling. And like, let's like, hold hands and sing kumbaya and like you know what I mean it's just becomes this very um, fluffy thing when the in the reality like there's so much more to it and so as some I mean I can just see and and hear in you telling that story about seeing a problem and being like all right here's a solution that not only benefits you and your family but you know, has a ripple effect to benefit the people that you hire and the, the people that those people are able to counsel. And I mean, that's just, it's a ripple effect down, um, down the line. 
so uh, to just start, talk about the where this book came from and w- the genesis of your desire to write this book. So to be honest, it's a little kind of a funny story. The title of the book totally inspired the whole thing. Love it. So I was running this counseling practice with my husband and raising my kiddos at home. I was also doing a little blog and doing a little bit of licensing brand work, digital stuff that I'd been doing since 2015. And I just felt one day like the Lord told me to stop the digital work. And that persisted for probably a year and a half. And I ignored it. Mm. I just thought, it's probably not God. That doesn't make any sense. It just now started making like a substantial amount of money. And it's hard to make money as a creative. And it was honorable work. And I was just like, I can't be, but it's probably Satan or fear or something. But it was so strong, like stop the digital work. That's what I felt for so long that I finally was like, okay, I'll quit cold turkey. And I'm sure as someone in this space, you know that if you stop, it's kind of over. Yeah. Like big time. I mean, you can't just stop. And so I stopped. And I did not feel peaceful about the decision at all. Like I thought I would. I thought when you're obedient to God, you feel all this peace. But I really had a lot of tension. And I was like, Lord, you are you want something from me and you are being so unclear. And I've let go of this vision that you gave me a while ago. And I've let go of it. And you have nothing in lights for me. You've got nothing. And I have, I was just angry praying over and over and over again, like griping at him. You know, Mm -hmm. I did this and I worked really hard. You took it away. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And after probably another year or two, God revealed to me one day and he gave me the title of the book. And it was so clearly like a book title, but I was not an author at the time. So I thought he wanted me to go on Amazon and buy the book. So I went, I typed on Amazon, glasses off, seeing Governor Visions, and all these recommendations, all these recommended books came up for optometry. So I thought, oh no, the Lord is going to take my vision away. As in, I think I'm going blind. Oh my goodness. So then I started reading articles of like how to tell your children you're going. <laughs> <laughs> You really went to, are you an Enneagram six? Like, this is like a very, <laughs> this is just funny. But I just, was, it was so like innocent. I just trusted God like, yeah. okay, wow, this sucks. You know, I, and he's, and he basically was like, sweet child, like you're not Paul from the Bible. Like, you're, I'm not going to take your eyesight away. I just need you to write a book with this title. Right. So fast forward. So I started writing. So fast forward a year, I was in a writing competition. And they had us summarize our book. At that time, I had like 36,000 words. They had us summarize it into one word, if we could choose one word. Mm. And I had no idea. And so I asked my husband, because he had read most of my writing, and he said, it's about vision. I think vision is the word. And he had not heard the title from the Lord like I had. Mm. So I was like, oh, you wanted me to write about spiritual blindness. This is a metaphor. And as I was looking at all my writing, I was like, wow, it is all about vision. And um, just personally speaking, I had been drowning in those words, like you had mentioned, Mm -hmm. purpose, calling, vision, they were everywhere. And so I just really set out on a mission to like, read every single self-help book. I read every dictionary as pertaining to those words. I read every Bible verse and all of the context of those words. And I just kind of condensed all of that into 
chapter two Mm. of the book. Wow. Wow. Okay. So let's break this down because I was, that was going to be my next question is because as I was looking through the book, um, I loved chapter two because you actually, because I'm a visual person and you create a whole diagram. I love some maps, charts, timelines, diagrams. I'm a former uh, high school teacher. And so like, that's just, I'm, that's how my brain works. So you introduce this kind of purpose calling vision diagram. So how did you begin to, after doing all that work, how did you begin to, to craft this? And what was the goal for it? The Lord really gave it to me. And he was like, okay, so I'm at the top, draw a triangle. I'm at the top. And out of me, everything flows. So on the bottom corner of the triangle, write Jesus. And on the other side of the triangle, write Holy Spirit. Only out of me, do you know my son and you know the Holy Spirit? And I was like, okay, Lord, like I get it. You know, he always starts with a spiritual analogy, you know? Right. And I'm like, okay, I understand the Trinity. But then he was like, now draw a second triangle. So I drew a second triangle and he said, put the word purpose at the top and out of purpose which is your day-to-day communion with me, you sharing about me to others, and you basically spending every day with me. Out of then, then your callings and visions will be revealed. But you have to start with me every day. I have to be the purpose. Just as I'm the origin of all eternity and time and space, the word purpose here is a personal call because we know it's a corporate call as well. Mm -hmm. But the personal call is the day-to-day communion with me. And out of those, your your calling and visions will be revealed. And that was where he stopped. And I thought a lot about it. And then I drew a third triangle and I wrote the word why at the top. So if purpose is my why every day, then calling, I wrote where. Calling could be the space or the field the stage or the classroom, wherever it is to live out the why, where you can show God's love, where you can be the hands and feet of Jesus. It doesn't have to be a career. It's just the space on earth. And then the vision, I wrote the word how, because I felt like it could be the Lord's playbook, like how we could specifically live out the calling. Mm. I love the clarification that you made about calling doesn't necessarily have to be your career. Can you unpack that? Because I think that there is, in a lot of different spaces, uh, a misconception that if you are not working a job or, you know, in a professional setting, that aligns perfectly with God's calling for you, that you are somehow being disobedient um, or that you're not living out your calling or whatever. Can you just make that distinction for us? Like, I mean, you can certainly have a career that is also your calling, but they're not mutually exclusive. And so how do you make that distinction between the two? Yeah, I can use my husband and I as an example. So My husband always knew, well, let me say, so in high school, he prayed to God what he should be, what he should do with his time because he didn't want to waste his time. And at 17, he felt like the Lord just gave him the word people. There was no career involved. There was no like be a doctor. No, it was just people. And so my husband is very decisive, never looks back on a decision, makes very quick decisions. 
And he just chose, okay, the Lord said people. So I'm going to help people. How do you best help people? You counsel people. So I'm going to be a counselor. And he never looked back and he's been doing it for however many years and loves it. I am someone that will question every single thing. It feels life or death. It's super pressure filled. I think about it for a long time. I make lists. I ask everybody I've ever met, (laughs) you know, like just a massive deal for me to make a really important decision like that. So what I felt was like, if my husband chose to be a surgeon or a dietitian or a physical therapist, and even if he still does to this day, if we close down the practice and he says, I can't do it anymore, my mind is shot, I need to do something a little bit easier. He's still going to help people. He's still going to be in the calling. Mm. It's not contingent upon like only be a counselor, you know? Yeah. What does it look like for you? So for me, because I was someone who never had their thing, I was kind of good at lots of different things, just barely. I wasn't really like an expert at anything. I had to do a lot of introspection and finally realize that my calling will always be creating. I've always been creating products, images, weird jingles ever since I was four and I could talk. I've been writing and creating humans, you know, <laughs> and businesses. I just do. I've always done that. So it doesn't matter if I get paid to do it. So if some, like if somebody feels like they really should, they're called to, I don't know, um, the elderly, like in some way they don't have any other clue of what to do. They don't have to quit their job as an accountant they can just volunteer at a retirement home. Right. They're still going to help the calling, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I want to help to, um, because I really love the way that you define the purpose, the, the why. And it's funny how this has shifted for me a little bit in the last few years. Um, but even uh, I've just found this, this in particular, very interesting. Um, have you watched the documentary on Netflix called Blue Zones? I have not. Okay. It's fantastic. You should watch it. So for those that are, and I've talked about the concept of Blue Zones actually here on the podcast a couple of times. For those who've been around a while, you'll have to go all the way back to my conversation with Daniel Grothy probably two years ago um, when we talked about his book, The Power of Place. Um, but Blue Zones are these pockets. I believe there's uh, five blue zones around the world. There's these pockets um, of people around the world that are have a high concentration of centenarians. So people living to be 100 or more. It's okay. like the highest concentration. So there's like Sardinia, um, Italy, uh, Loma Linda, California. There's a place in Costa Rica, um, Okinawa, Japan. And then there's a place in Greece. And I can't remember exactly what the island is. I think it begins with a K, maybe. Um, in it's any event. The one, it's the one that I own. Yes. That? Yes. It's the one that uh, Sierra owns is that island. In any event. So th- basically people have been studying these blue zones to figure out, okay, what is it about these regions of the world and why are they have this incredibly high concentration of people living like really long lives? Um, And so, and so I've been fascinated by this for a while. And then Netflix this summer came out with a documentary about it. And I was like, I'm in, 
Count me in. Cool. And so they look at things like diet. They look at things like active, act, you know, being active. Like I remember the one episode where it talks about the the blue zone in Costa Rica. I mean, it has this guy who's like 105 and he's just riding a, you know, thoroughbred horse and he's just like herding <laughs> sheep and stuff. And I'm just like that. No way that dude is 105. Like he's just <laughs> killing it. And, and like so many of these interviews, they'll interview these people who are, you know, 100, 105, 106 or whatever. And they're just doing way more than I am at 38. You know, <laughs> I'm like, my back hurts and I'm 38. So I have no excuse. So in any way, event, you know, they, they look at the different, the, their diets, they look at their, their active lifestyle, they look at their faith traditions. Um, but one of the factors that is really common in the majority of these blue zones is, and this was the whole point of me saying this, is this incredibly high, um, level of purpose and each of them waking up especially in Okinawa but I think Okinawa was the highest concentration but all of them in general it's this idea of they wake up every single day with a why and with a purpose and that that is the thing that then fuels everything else that they do and so I obviously I won't continue to unpack the rest of it, but I found it incredibly fascinating. And I love the way that you've outlined this in such a way where I'm like, it speaks directly to that because when you really look at the way God created us, like he, you know, he put Adam and Eve in the garden to work it and to tend it. This was before the fall, like work was not a uh, a consequence of the fall, making it hard and like thorns and weeds and poison ivy and all that stuff like that was like tilling the ground, but actually working and tending to a garden and tending to animals and tending to relationships like that was pre-fall. So that was all what God created us to do was to have purpose and meaning. Because like, if you think about it, like, God's just going to put Adam and Eve in the garden and just like give them nothing to do. Like they're going to be bored. They're going to be bored out of their mind. Yeah, sure. They're in communion with God. But if they have no like reason for getting up every day, why are they going to keep doing it? And so I've thought a lot about this. And I think that that is something that this really speaks to. And so um, I, I, I set all this up. I say all that to say, talk about this, like, what does it look like practically? Because I, again, I think that big overarching theme of purpose and why is key. And I mean, I, I know how I could define it for myself, but how do you define it for somebody who might be really struggling with like, I, okay, okay. Like I hear those stories or I hear those stories of the, the centenarians who wake up every day with purpose and, you know, a job that they love or, or a a calling that they're, they're, living out, but that's not me. And I don't, you know, maybe I'm really struggling in this area. How do you help define that for people? And how do you, especially through this book, help people walk through that piece of the triangle? Yeah. I, I love that you brought up the garden because I was just reading this morning when God gives Jonah the shade tree. Yeah. And then it goes away. And Jonah was so excited for his new thing that God gave him but he's 
God's like, bro, you didn't water it. You didn't prune it. Right. Like it died on its own. I didn't just magically take it away. It died because you were not practical. Right. And as someone who can be really in her head, speaking of me, I have learned that I can be both, Mm. that I can be, I can, I can be idealistic and I can have all these thoughts and ideas. And I can also figure out practical ways to like make them concrete. So Mm. I love that. And actually I was there. I was totally that person that didn't even feel special enough to even like, God doesn't even love me probably, let alone he wants to accomplish something through Mm. me. Like it took me a long time to, to trust God and to realize that he's not like everybody else, everybody else who has betrayed, whether they mean to or not, or has hurt. He's he's, I can trust in his plan because I can trust in him because he's trustworthy. So I basically wrote a whole practical chapter about it. I think it's like chapter eight, maybe. And yeah, I mean, I wrote down everything God took me through. It's like a professional and personal blueprint. And so I can speak, I can speak like quickly on this. Okay. Do it. So I call it the vision journey. Yeah. And the first one is to recognize the vision. And so which dream has the most potential to showcase God's love, not which one is like, you know, more fancy or whatever, Mm. Uh, which do you sense God's presence inside of most, not necessarily which one is the most public or whatever impressive. And I talk about creating a list of, it could be your thoughts. It could be God's promptings. It could be your secret dreams and then writing the number, the sense of urgency you feel to accomplish that thing. So for me, if I were to write a list, you know, try for a third child, there'd be a number, maybe it's a five. Mm-hmm. I feel it's not a 10, it's not a one, it's a five. Open a boutique in my area for children. There's no children's boutique in the area. It'd be a great business decision. Do I feel like it's what the Lord wants me to do? It's probably a two. Mm. <laughs> write this book about God's vision. It would have been a nine or a 10. For some reason, I feel God's pressing on it over and over again. It doesn't ever leave me. And so that's one of the ways to recognize a vision. I talk more thoroughly in the book, obviously. But the second step is to then confirm that it is from the Lord. Again, a lot more meat in the text. But basically, prayer is the only way. Because if you skip the first step, which is, okay, I've recognized this vision is from the Lord. I'm going to skip praying about it and I'm going to go straight to sharing it with someone else and processing it verbally. It sort of manipulates the vision into something you're wanting it to be, Mm. not what God actually created it to be. And so I just felt like I have to know if it's from the Lord directly to the source. And so, and he, he uses different things to confirm it. And then the third step, then now you're ready to involve others. We know that without you know, wise counsel plans can fail. So you do need to involve others. Now, if you feel like you should be a small group leader at your church and you go and you tell that to them and you do the background check and you fill out the form, now you're accountable and there's someone else in the vision with you and they're praying about it. Yeah. And you've got to speak into that and they're watching to see if you follow through. Right. They can also offer a lot of stuff that you wouldn't think about too. And then the fourth step is dream and design the vision. And I call this my Mary Poppins step. (laughs) So basically, don't put limitations on God. So imagine if 
you follow through with this God-given vision, what would it look like if you were limitless Mm -hmm. and you just put it all down and it's completely irrational and you disarm that logical brain and you step into your creative brain, get it all out, get it all out. And then the fifth step, I call it the Will Smith in pursuit of happiness step. Mm -hmm. And it's the really practical, resourceful step where, okay, you may not be able to play in the WNBA because you're five one and you haven't <laughs> played since high school, but maybe you could go sign up for an intramural league in your town. And that's because he gets in the cab with the guy, like his dream is wall street, but all he has is a Rubik's cube and he shows the guy in the car, what he can do. And eventually, you know, his dream comes true. So that's what I say for that step. That's just your basic budgeting and uh, researching and right doing work, you know, that Bible verse that's like all hard work leads to profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. I'm going to take a quick break from my chat with Sierra to let you know that my new book, my first book, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, How Death, Debt, and Comedy Led to a Life of Faith, Farming, and Forgetting What I Came Into This Room For is now available for pre-order. You can pre-order it wherever books are sold, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, any place you can get your books, you can pre-order it right now. And did you know that pre-ordering a book, you don't get charged until the book ships and you are guaranteed the lowest possible price. So if it goes on sale between now and March 26th, when the book comes out, you can actually get the lowest price, however low it was, and it will ship right to your doorstep so that on launch day, you will get my book in your hands. I'm so excited. I'm so thankful for your support over the years, and I cannot wait for you to read this book. So go pre-order it now. You can find out more information about it at stillbeingmolly.com. Now back to my chat with Sierra Lane Myers. Well, I think that that lends itself to the next question I wanted to ask. And this is something you talk about in, uh, I think, chapter five, where you talk about the difference between being a dreamer and a visionary um, and how I I think that there is an important distinction there. And so can you explain what the difference is there and how somebody who... Because I mean, for example, like I have a friend in my life who I love very dearly, like she is a dreamer and like we all need a dreamer in our lives, like who just, it can be like, what if, like, it's just a lot of what if, and I'm like, that is a great idea. Also, (laughs) we need to be a little bit more practical here or, um, but then I, I know people too, who are very visionary. So can you unpack the differences there? And if you, and it's, if you're a dreamer, like you can still be a visionary and you could be a visionary who's also a dreamer. But so how do you make the distinction between the two? Yeah. I mean, you said it. So the concept was born from a conversation I had with one of my best friends. We were sitting on her tailgate overlooking some water and I was crying. Was this on your island? This It was actually. <laughs> I invited her. Yeah. To your private island. <laughs> there was a truck on the island. Um, <laughs> we just drove there. Yeah. Just... Right through low tide. Uh, I just was crying. And I said, like, I just expressed to her my concern for following an idea from the Lord that I had, but being too afraid to do it. Mm. And just like you just said, I said, there's so many people who do, 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 do all day long. They never allow themselves to dream. Mm. And there's so many people who dream all day long and don't actually do it. Mm. And I said, I really don't. 
I really don't want to do that. And she looked me dead in the eyes and said, you're both, you're a dreamer and a doer. And after that conversation, I didn't know what she meant. And I went home and I wrote this whole chapter immediately. And what I realized was, okay, if I was just a dreamer, it would almost be a selfish act on my part because nobody could benefit from it on the other side. And so if I move through the dreaming and I make something which is vision by definition, making the immaterial material. So if I materialize my little dream, then somebody can benefit from it. Mm. And then it's not selfish anymore. Right. And it's scary and it's vulnerable. And it's it's actually more humble to like awkwardly put yourself out there to help someone else versus just being amazing in your own little dream world, you know? And so, um, yeah, I mean, the Lord definitely speaks to people in dreams. He's, he spoke to me one time in a dream ever, and I wrote about it in chapter seven and it was not a good dream. And so I do not discount the dreaming. I think we have to have that. But I also think if we stop there, then that's the problem because God is an example to us of how we need to be a visionary. If he had stopped at the dreaming, none of us would exist. Right. So I think that the, you know, being a visionary implies leadership as well. And so in order to be a visionary, you have to invite other people into the story. You have to invite other people into it because the reality is, is that like, if you are a visionary, like it's just like when God has a vision for your life or, or for the lives of his people, like he's inviting you into the process. And so when you are a visionary and you're casting vision over, you know, whether it's within your church, within your family, um, you know, within the workplace where in your friend group, whatever it is, like wherever the place that, that God has, has put you and you have a vision, you have to invite other people into it in order to walk that out and to actually see it come to fruition. Um, so I, I really love that distinction. But you're right. We absolutely need, we need the dreamers and we need the visionaries and we need the dreamers and the doers. Um, and you can be both. You just can't be one or the other and stay stuck there. Um, because I think that that then uh, you're not, you're not fulfilling the thing that God has, <laughs> has, has called you to. Right. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't always come naturally because right. like I'm a people person, but I'm also sometimes I can be super shy. And sometimes I'm just kind of like, you can, you know, you can take the lead or whatever. I'm not picky. And, um, but I also have like a leadership quality in me too, that I have to exercise and I have to be open to God to express that and to just trust that that's what he needs for me. And one day he helped me with that because he told me I was asleep and he woke me up at four in the morning and just over and over and over again, he said, it's not about you. It's about providing value. Mm. It's not about you. It's about providing value. And it shifted everything for me because instead of waking up asking like, will they like me or how will this work be perceived or how can we be more successful in our counseling? You know, whatever I was thinking, it was like, how can I serve one person with my gift? Awkwardly, humbly, just one soul. How can I do that? If I throw a concert and only one person comes, it's more than worth it. Mm. And I mean, I'm not a singer. I don't know why I said that, but it's just <laughs> for any of your listeners, like anything that they can do with one gift, you kind of have to go, you have to kind of get rid of your ego and just say, it's not about me anymore. Yeah. And, and that's get out of my way and let God be God. Yeah. 
And that's hard. That is, um, my, my daughter and I've had a lot of conversations about this recently. Just what does that look like, um, to practice humility while still maintaining confidence? Um, that is, I'd say one of the most difficult balances that any Christian like day to day really has to strike is, uh, a living a life of humility. Um, and, but being confident in the purpose and the calling that God has given you. And it's interesting, like I've, I've actually had this conversation quite a bit too in the last week or two, uh, because we were in my Bible study, we just finished up, um, the story of John the Baptist in the book of John. And one of the, I, I love John chapter three when, um, you know, John the Baptist, he, is baptizing people and his disciples come to him and they're all, they got their panties in a wad. And can I say that about people in the Bible? I just did. So in any event, (laughs) the, the disciples, like his disciples come to him and they're like, Hey, I know you were talking about this Jesus guy, but he's now baptizing people like in his disciple, like people are following him and they're not following you anymore. And so like, what's up? Like, are you, you know, we got to talk about this. And John's just like, Nope, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And he's like, my joy is complete because I have, you know, I was the messenger and I was the the lamp or I was the uh, the light bulb and Jesus is the lamp. And now the lamp is here. And uh, I've like, my joy is complete. I've done what I was supposed to do, what I was created to do. And he says, you know, may he increase and may I decrease. And I just love that story so much because it is John not being arrogant, not being um, showy or boastful. He is just fully 100% confident in what he was called to do. And that was to prepare the way and to prepare hearts for, for Jesus. And then Jesus comes along and he's like, that's him. There he is. Remember all that stuff I said? Y'all go. But you know, and then it, but it's the people around him. They're like, wait a second. People aren't following you now, John. Like, what the heck? And um, do you guys, do you like how I just tell these Bible stories? Like they're just regular old folk, Um, you know, anyway. But I think that that is such a great example of how we can model in some ways the, the way that John the Baptist lives of just like being fully confident and not wavering in our purpose and our calling while also maintaining humility and making sure that whatever it is that we do is shining the light on Jesus and not on ourselves. Um, but man, that is hard because yeah, other people get in the way or our own egos can slip in, um, very quickly. Um, it can go from zero to a hundred, you know, (laughs) real fast. Totally. Yeah. And in the Bible, it talks about if our, if we, you know, doubt the Lord, instead of trusting him, we're like a restless sea. Right. And so I just decided like, I don't want to be a restless sea. Right. I, I'm just gonna, cause I know the things that I'm bad at. Like, mm. I know I'm not called to lead worship. I just can't sing. That would never be a thing the Lord would call me to. I'm not the best with hospitality. I research a lot about it. I try, I can, um, I can get better at that, but I know my spiritual gifts and I've just been like, okay, they are the friends that have the hospitality gift. They're not better at it because they research more. It is a spiritual God-given thing that they're naturally going to be good at. And I don't want to be naturally good at if my thing is writing or whatever it is for God, which I know, but 
I want to be natural at it, accept it. And then I want to also build relevant skills so that I can Mm. walk in it every day. Mm. And, and I also think the confidence comes when you figure out who God is calling you to serve to. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. Well, as we're running out of time, um, there was one last question um, I wanted to ask uh, before we wrap up. And that is, uh, you talk a lot about it and you, you kind of alluded to this a little bit at the beginning about every single day, making sure that God is at the forefront of everything that you do. And so one of the things that you talk about is through this daily date with God. So I realize that this looks different for everybody. You know, some people might refer to it as quiet time or prayer time or just Bible time or whatever. Um, what does it look like for you? And what is your encouragement to people who maybe have struggled in this area in creating a daily habit? So it used to be, I would look to read the Bible as sort of like a how-to manual. Mm-hmm. And even in high school and um, throughout my adulthood, I would try to figure out God's will and I would come what not to do, what to do. And we know from, what is it? First, Thessalon- is it Thessalonians? When he says God's will is to pray continuously, rejoice always, give yeah. thanks in all circumstances. Like, that's it. That's the will. Mm. And once I figured out like, okay, God is not some big sky genie that's going to give me the exact blueprint for my entire life. Say that bummer. twice for the people in the back. <laughs> then, well, that didn't work. So then I started showing up to God as I'm pretty open-minded in life with things. And so I was like, Lord, I'm going to be open-minded with you. If you're real, if you care about me at all, meet me here. And every day I just kept doing that and it looked different every day. So I don't have a morning devotional usually because I have a sleep disorder. So I have epilepsy and my trigger is getting woken up from REM sleep. Mm. So I would be, I would be no good if I tried to do something right when I woke up. So usually when I meet with God, it's, you know, after I've like been outside or after I've had my cup of coffee and I can really be present with the Lord. So some days it looks like just leaving my phone at home, going on a walk. I kind of just take cues from Jesus because he met people where they were. He prayed on mountaintops and he Mm. walked in gardens and he he didn't just sit there in the same place every day, every morning, because it was like, you should do that. So for me to answer your question, I guess it looks like variety. It looks like, okay, what, what does my spirit need today? Today, I'm going to benefit a lot from studying the word of God. So here's my same highlighter, my same study Bible, my same red couch tomorrow. That may look like uh, singing really loud and dancing as I love to dance and moving all the furniture and getting all my, you know, body jitters out. And then the next day it may look like um, sharing some insight with my 10 year old daughter and us bouncing things off back and forth. So I love that. And it's very, really practical because like I said, it, it's going to look different for everybody, but finding something that works for you and you're right. I mean, it just, there's just never a time that um, there's never a time where I sit down to, to spend time with God and where I go, 
after I'm done, you know, being like, oh, wow, I really regret that. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what a waste. What a waste of time that was. Um, just never, never. Oh, man, this has been so good. Okay, so uh, obviously, uh, for people who want more on this and just more Sierra, you should go get uh, this book. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you get your books. It's called Glasses Off Seeing God When Your Vision Is Gone. How else can people best support you and connect with you and all of that? Yeah, I think buying the book, reading it, letting God speak to you, telling someone else about it, because not everyone is the right reader for it. And then if you're the right reader, you're going to know. Um, <laughs> but some people don't struggle with this. You know, yeah. some people are like, oh, I'm good. Like, I don't know what tension you're talking about or what vision you're. So the people that have read it have sent a lot of really amazing things. So I hope that if you read it, you do amazing things in your home or town or church or wherever you are. Awesome. And where can people find you uh, on the internets? Uh, my pen name, Sierra Lane Myers. Awesome. Thank Thank you so much for being here, Sierra. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I want to know what you learned or if there was something that inspired you or encouraged you. You can let me know on social media. You can find me. I am at still being Molly or at can I laugh pod wherever you get your podcasts. And would you head on over to whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on? And would you leave a review? Leaving a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. Thank you so much to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And thank you for listening. And I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.